If you're looking to save some money on your wireless plan, take a look at Visible Wireless. They're a transparent wireless carrier with nothing to hide. If you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible where you can get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon for just 25 bucks a month, taxes and fees included. One-line wireless, just 25 bucks a month with taxes and fees included. That's unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Switch now at Visible.com. You shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but you can judge a company by its name. Like Visible, the wireless company making wireless visible. Monthly rate on the Visible plan. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief, Sierra 117, and you're listening to Podcast Unlocked, the world's number one Xbox podcast. Now, finish this fight. Master Chief, out. What's happening, friends? Welcome to Podcast Unlocked, IGN's weekly Xbox show. This one for 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. It's Unlocked 530 Two as a little, you know, extra bonus for you. I'm Ryan McCaffrey, joined as always by Miranda Sanchez. Hi, Miranda. Hi, hello. Stella Chung, how are you? I'm good. Uh, just real quick, uh, someone pointed out that I laugh too much on this podcast, so I'm going to laugh this entire podcast. Please, anyway. have <laughs> fun, enjoy life. We're talking about video games. It should be fun. And welcoming back an old friend, Cam Hawkins. Good to see you, my friend. Yes, I'm here. I'm ready to talk about Xbox. So uh, you, my friend, have not been on in a little while. What have you been up to lately? Get everybody kind of caught up and give your social media plug. I know you've been writing for IGN a little lately as well. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for IGN stuff, I just recently uh, published a review for uh, Monarch, which is uh, the latest JRPG that's come or it just came out today. Actually, um, it's officially out now. Um, unfortunately, it's not on Xbox. It's on everything. It's on PS5, PS4, PC, and Switch, but it's not on Xbox. It is what it is. Um, and uh, yeah, so you can check that out. Um, I have a new uh, limited series podcast with uh, Jonathan Dornbush, who works at IGN. He's uh, you know host podcast beyond. It's called Unlocking Kingdom Hearts. It is a Again, like a limited time series where we're trying to uh, encourage people to play through the series for the first time or replay it and, uh, you know, join us on the journey of playing through these games again um, uh, in celebration of the 20th anniversary, as well as just a a resource for, for those that are trying to get into the series because... You know, there's a lot of talk that like, oh, Kingdom Hearts doesn't make any sense. It's too complicated. And like, <laughs> so we got like Jonathan, Kingdom Hearts expert. We got Alexa Ray Korea, another Kingdom Hearts expert. And then Kevin Diaz over from PlayStation Source on YouTube. Uh, he's a newbie. So he's he wants to play through the series. So I asked him to come on. And we're all playing through the series again or for the first time. And um, it's been a lot of fun. We're going to, uh, we only have episode zero out as of recording. But episode one should come out in March, and we're basically trying to release 
them in a month by month basis uh, to give time for people to play through them and like marinate on their thoughts and things like that. But yeah, unlocking kingdom hearts is on all your podcast services. Uh, check it out. And I you love can follow that. me it's- on, Oh, go, sorry. No, no, please. Get finished that say, plug. Uh, Twitter at Cam Final Mix. Yeah, that, it sounds like a book club, basically, because you want to. Yeah. You're, you're playing, you know, with the audience as you go. That's a great idea, and that's also a, a absolutely stacked killer lineup of people. Like, I could not think of a, of better a better Kingdom Hearts crew than the people you just named. That is an awesome idea for a podcast. Congrats on that. That'll Thank you. Fun. Uh, all right. So, as I said, it's 2-2-22, which is uh, about as palindromatic as it possibly gets. We always like to call out the palindromes here on Podcast Unlocked, which is a nod to my, my friend and, and a longtime podcasting partner, Dan Amrick. Dan, if you're out there, this palindrome is for you today. Uh, we have got plenty to talk about in the world of Xbox, starting with a fairly interesting story out of EA this past week. And it's now this is nuanced. It's complicated. It's not like don't take it at face value. We're going to try and just break it down and and, uh, provide as much context as possible. But in short, EA kind of admitted even the wrong word, but they, they, they did say that Battlefield 2042, quote, failed to meet the expectations of our players. This was said in an internal meeting, and they cited a number of factors for that. Uh, one of them being the pandemic and the work from home. That's definitely affected everyone. No question there. They also cited Halo Infinite. So let me uh, let me continue here. I'll give you the details. Now, the caveat here is that EA has said that this report uh, was didn't quite correctly reflect the tone of the meeting. So they didn't deny it. But an EA spokesperson said, these stories are not accurately capturing the discussion and the context which was an in-depth and very humble internal conversation about the recent Battlefield launch. It was about key learnings and actions we are taking, not blaming external factors. So uh, the report was from X-Fire, and they said in this meeting, executives spent over 20 minutes talking about, basically it was a post-mortem, like what, all right, what did we learn from from the Battlefield 2042 launch? And the chief studios officer, Laura Mille, uh, cited that one of those problems was the Frostbite engine, which had to be basically developed in real time, the new version of it, alongside the game, uh, taking up apparently 18 months of dev time, which is a lot. She said, all, all the new tech, it was basically a new engine. Uh, they went back. The Frostbite version they were on was so old, they had to go back and update. So it was basically putting the game on a new engine. She also spoke about the work-from-home environment, as a result of COVID-19, uh, she reportedly said, add all of this new pandemic, uh, excuse me, add up all of this new innovation, all of this ambition for the new project, and then you add a global pandemic halfway into the project where the game teams had to work from home. We ended up with more new variables in development than we have ever experienced before. And then she also said that the surprise multiplayer launch of Halo Infinite was a turning point, which came a mere four days uh, earlier than Battlefield 2042's release on November 19th. Compared to Infinite, uh, Battlefield 2042 wasn't as, quote, polished, according to this meeting. So EA uh, sort of citing that, uh, that, that players were looking favorably at the free-to-play Halo, and then when Battlefield came out, uh, that did not reflect as well on them. So uh, let's let's just start here. Let me go around the table. 
with some first reactions. Uh, Miranda, I'm going to go your way first. Um, I can understand that they're trying to uh, do a little bit of damage control potentially on this statement because it's like, okay, yes, like Halo wasn't like the, they're not trying to lean on Halo here, but also they're not denying that, hey, you know, having something competing with our shooter is going to cause some, I think, failure on the expectations as well. Like it'll be an aspect of it, although it can't be the key aspect because we know that this game had some pretty significant issues without Halo being excellent. So I think that's just the problem, right? It's like when you have another shooter that comes out, it's free and it's excellent. It's like, well, (laughs) where are people going? I went to Halo. Surprise. But I mean, I think a lot of people did as well, which is kind of what they're noting here. And I think it is important for them to note um, on competitors when something happens and doesn't meet expectations because it is it is um, a component of it. Right. So Stella, you're the multiplayer guru of IGN, particularly in the shooter department. What were your thoughts on sort of Battlefield in general and and what you're reading about this internal meeting? Uh, so I I still get crap thrown at me for giving this game a seven, right? Um, but I, I gave it a seven because I genuinely believed it had a lot of potential, especially with I, I genuinely felt like Portal and uh, I, I felt like Portal really brought up that score. I, it was so close to being a six for me, um, and a lot of people don't realize that once you actually read the review, you get my reasonings, but yes. people don't read, so that's okay. Um, I, of course, Halo Infinite's launch was fantastic. They did a great job and it's free to play. Yes. But I don't think that that is ultimately the reason that Battlefield 2042 failed to meet the expectations of our players. I mean, ever since the, uh, was it the beta weekend, we saw how unpolished that game was and they kept saying, oh, this is a, this is a very late build. This is a build that was not you know, that's not updated. And so, you know, I, I was like, okay, cool. That's fine. I understand that. It's a beta. They say they have a lot of these things already fixed. They want to stress test servers. Okay, cool. Um, but then even at launch, I mean, you're talking about like a $70 pre-order that just was not ideal. Uh, it was unplayable at launch versus Halo Infinite. That was very playable at launch and it was a free-to-play game. So, of course, people would f- migrate over. Um, but also, I feel like Battlefield players are not always going to be Halo players either. So, yeah, it's like that's not going to directly affect your game. Like, yes, is it going to be something that people talk about? Yeah, of course. A free-to-play game is performing better than a uh, $70 pre-order game. Yeah, of course. Um, But I I, I think... I think they really need to take a better look at uh, what exactly their game uh, issue games issues were like in this review i point out all of the issues like very clearly um so yeah i i think sure halo infinite's launch had something to do with it but mostly it just had to do with pointing out the flaws in a uh triple a game that was also released at the same time and you're uh, in a unique position to comment because you reviewed both of these games i did <laughs> i did now cam how about you what were your did, did you play any battlefield did uh and if you did or didn't did the sort of uh, conversation around it affect your decision one way or the other and, and your thoughts on these comments from EA. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I'm not a big Battlefield person. Um, I'm more like Halo and, and Call of Duty. And even with Call of Duty nowadays, just like I like to try out the campaigns when they come out and that's that's about it. Um, and I think that when I saw Battlefield 2042 originally, uh, you know, during E3, I said like, this actually looks 
new enough, like fresh enough that I wanted to jump in. And then people just kept saying that it wasn't where it needed to be. And, you know, leading up to the launch, even with like the whole late build thing, I, I thought I was like, this game is probably not going to be ready to come out now. And a battlefield has just like ongoing history of releasing, you know, in that, in that holiday season that I guess EA decided we're still going to launch it and just kind of figure out the problems overall, which I think is, I, like I, I get it from a business standpoint, but I also feel like we're at this point now where like games come out all the like big games come out almost all the time, not just during the holiday season. That you know we don't really see a seasonal or or, or an annual like uh, multiplayer shooter come out during the springtime. And I know that's not like when people are going Christmas shopping and everything, but that could that could have been their they could have went for that. They could have decided, all right, we're going to push this back to the spring, you know, where we're by ourselves. We don't have to worry about the new Call of Duty. We don't have to worry about Halo Infinite. And and they'll also give more time to finish the game. Um, so that's how I feel about that. When it comes to the whole Halo Infinite, like, this is, you know, that that was a problem. It, it does sound like that it was just more of a kind of constructive criticism meeting, not like them whining in a room about it. Um, it was just like, hey, so th- these are reasons why that this was affected and, you know, we need to learn from it. Um, so hopefully um, there's a future with this game because Battlefield does have a still a dedicated fan base. Um, I know people that do like this game when it came out as it was. Um so it really is just kind of a wait and see, like if they're going to stick with this or if they're going to try and like use this game as a lesson and then release a new game that is in a much more better state. Um, it really is kind of in this place where where multiplayer games are now. It's like either like you stick or you don't. And so and I feel like that battlefield is in this place right now where we're not really sure where it's going to end up. Um, so I think it's going to stick around because it's Battlefield, but like I, I really hope that EA learns from this game and the next game that they release is something that's in a much better state now that they got this engine sorted out and, uh, you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I'm glad you made the point about the context of the meeting because that's that's one thing I wanted to really make sure we drive home for anybody listening to this because it's easy to just dogpile on EA and be like, oh, they're blaming Halo and they're, they've got all these excuses. No, it, as you correctly know, Cam, this was basically a post-mortem meeting. IGN, we do post-mortems every Friday where we gather as an entire team and look back on the week we just had and said, okay, you know, what if, you know, some some weeks we look at our headlines and like, okay, could we, what could we have done better here? Some weeks we look at uh, the, you know, just different things every week. And you try to, you, you can't learn and get better unless you're looking back and criticizing yourself and, and you know, taking a, a close look at what, what you've done with your own work. So uh, that was the nature of this internal meeting. And that stuff happens all the time in, in not just games, but in, in pretty much every field, uh, creative or otherwise. But uh, I did think it was kind of interesting that uh, that they cited frostbite, and I and again I'm not trying to dogpile, but like it's this is not the first time that frostbite has been cited for causing development issues, and I know 
Game development's super hard. I've never done it. I'm not pretending to be an expert here. But I do wonder uh, if this being the, the latest example of Frostbite uh, causing some development challenges might look at, I'm not saying EA is going to abandon it. I mean, it's their own engine. They own it. DICE builds it. DICE is one of their rock star studios. But maybe they look at their tools, their pipeline, you know, hopefully some better uh, results, some, some good solutions come out of this for their development teams. Because, you know, you can look back on uh, Mass Effect Andromeda was was one of the ones that, you know, was switched to you know, the Unreal or excuse me, Mass Effect had been on Unreal. And then for Andromeda, they switched over to Frostbite and it did not really uh the process did not go well from reports we we read after the fact. Uh, and then Anthem was another one with Bioware that that also uh, struggled a bit with with uh, Frostbite. So, you know, DICE themselves, the authors of that engine, are not going to abandon it. But I do hope that, that they uh, really take some serious learnings out of it. But, um, you know, the Halo Infinite thing to me, it, there's a little bit of kind of laughing about it just just in the sort of poetic cosmic sense i'm not laughing at them but just in the sense that uh they're complaining about halo releasing early when five years ago ea willingly <laughs> willingly sent titanfall 2 to die yep. by releasing it a week like it was directly yep. you know, the week before was battlefield uh i have it in my notes was it one or five i a oh, one battlefield one and then the week after was call of duty whatever from that year so again i'm not i'm not trying to you know pick at a scab with with ea uh, or really make it personal but that you know it release dates matter that's i guess the lesson is if a competitor surprises you, catches you off guard, that can be a factor. But if you also schedule something uh, in a way that, <laughs> that maybe maybe could have been avoided, that matters too. Yeah, and I just want to also add on, like, they knew that Halo Infinite was coming. Like, they, they knew for a long time about Halo Infinite, and they, they could have, again, they could have put it to spring. They could have moved it, but they decided not to. So, I, I don't know, very little uh, empathy for, for them well, you know, and, and you make a good point too, Cam, about the future of Battlefield where, I mean, obviously this franchise isn't going anywhere. Uh, there's, no. It's far too big for that. But, you know, I wonder, like, I'd be curious, Stella, your perspective in particular, does, does a $70 multiplayer only game, does that have a future in this, in the industry from... You know, I'm not saying the game's not worth it at all. I do not interpret my words as that, anybody listening. But when you have Warzone, when you have Halo Infinite, you when you have Apex, like can can a $70 multiplayer only big franchise shooter still work, still be successful? Um I think at 70 maybe not. Um I mean Here's the thing. I think I think a fully paid for a fully paid um, FPS like multiplayer game could work. I think so, but because it is competing against these free to play models, it has to have something unique. It has to be 
extremely polished. Um, it has to have, it has to carry the expectations. It has to actually meet the expectations that come with being a fully purchasable um, FPS game, like especially multiplayer. You want things to feel really good, M maybe not perfect, but really good. Um, also live up to the publisher and uh, developers' names. So I think as long as they keep the trust of the community and are very transparent in about, about things and make sure that the quality is the best that they, it can be, yeah, I think a uh, maybe not full-priced game, but maybe like a 40 to $50 multiplayer game could exist in this economy. I think so. But um, yeah, again, there's going to be a lot of things that they have to consider and actually meet in order for that to work. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the future of Battlefield is and where EA goes from here. Obviously, they're not going to abandon Battlefield 2042. It's going to continue continue to get a lot of hard work put into it. I'm sure it will improve. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, a game, uh, what, probably the utmost example of a game that improved a whole hell of a lot and is still alive and strong later in the podcast. So there are, there are models that show, there are good examples that show that... Uh, you know, a rough launch is not the, it's not a death sentence. For the next, this week's podcast unlocked is brought to you by NordVPN. Hey, if you're watching a lot of sports like me and you hate blackouts, NordVPN is a great way to go. You can use NordVPN, a virtual private network, to watch live sporting events, TV shows, films that aren't available in your region by switching your virtual location to a country that is showing that event. No more blackouts. It's also good for plenty of other stuff like protecting your private data, your bank details, your passwords, your online identity. You can protect your data while you're traveling and using public Wi-Fi. NordVPN protects you wherever you are in the world. NordVPN threat protection also protects you from viruses, malware, and phishing sites. NordVPN is also the fastest VPN in the world. No buffering or lagging while you're streaming, and it will stop your ISP bandwidth throttling. NordVPN is the price of a cup of coffee a month, so that is a super affordable, great way to go. To get the best discount off of your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com slash Unlocked without the E. That's N O R D V P N dot com slash U N L O C K D. And that'll give you four extra months on the two year plan. And best of all, there's no risk with Nord's 30 day money back guarantee. NordVPN.com slash unlocked without the E. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
story, though, let's talk more acquisitions. Nobody's actually made one this week, at least not as of 11.34 a.m. on Tuesday. <laughs> but uh, Ubisoft's leadership is at least publicly maintaining an air of, call it, disinterest for now with regard to the potential of being acquired by another publisher. So Ubisoft uh, had a shareholder meeting and our wonderful reporter, Rebecca Valentine, uh, wrote up a fantastic sort of recap and analysis of this. And in, in her piece on IGN, she says, Ubisoft wants shareholders to see it as, success, uh, as being successful at slow growth over time, as opposed to a company that spends a lot of money buying up other companies. As evidence, it points to what it's built over the years doing exactly that. It's a library of IPs like Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, the Tom Clancy games, and more alongside various proprietary technologies and rather ironically, its company culture and organizational structure. CEO Eve Guillemot responded with a somewhat cautious declaration of independence for Ubisoft saying, Ubisoft can remain independent. Our IPs are sought after by the biggest global players in entertainment and tech. Having said that, if there were an offer to buy us, the board of directors would of course review it in the interest of all stakeholders. Well, of course the board's going to review it. I mean, he's basically saying right there that if the offer is good enough, they're going to take it, which is exactly how Microsoft got Activision Blizzard to take their $68 billion deal. They made a huge offer that the board couldn't refuse. But uh, I'll go around here. I want to start with Cam. I mean, Cam, do you, uh, do you see Ubisoft staying uh, independent for the time being? Or, or, and if you don't, who, who might be a good fit to uh, pick them up? Uh, I think they'll stay independent. Uh, I think they have a good relationship with, and I'm not saying that like other studios that have gotten acquired uh, and uh, don't, but I think they have a good relationship with um, all the major platforms. Like Nintendo is making a Mario and Rabbids, you know, sequel and like, which the first one was very good. And, uh, you know, selfishly, I don't want Ubisoft to get acquired by someone so that they can't, make those that that series anymore um but also it's just like if if the money's right for them and they and they do it i i mean uh, they're gonna take it you know what i mean like it's one of those things it's just one of those situations where they're like you know we're not looking towards getting acquired we're not particularly interested in it but if the money's right we're gonna do it and i think that I don't think that's the case for most companies uh, that like, you know, there's been this ongoing talk about like, ooh, with, like who's Microsoft or Sony going to acquire next? Is it going to be Square Enix? Is it going to be Capcom? And I think that there there are groups like that that kind of want to have their freedom, want to have just do their own thing and not have to worry about um those extra things despite there being kind of like that security blanket there um and i don't think that ubisoft really needs that either um so in my opinion i think they're going to stay uh neutral like they're going to stay they're not going to get acquired but like when it comes to the hypotheticals of like if i like whatever big massive acquisition that happens next i wouldn't be surprised if ubisoft was one of them Miranda, your thoughts on Ubisoft here? I don't think they would get picked up by anybody. I think the 
So while Blizzard, I think of the Activision Blizzard side of that has more appeal, like honestly, obviously Call of Duty is a huge thing. But when you think about just like the Activision side, like there's not a whole lot rolling there right now, right? Whereas when you look at something like Ubisoft, which is wholly doing a whole lot of different kinds of things and trying different things and, and still being really successful, uh, I think they would, as they've said, rather just stay independent. And I think they have every reason to. So if they were to be acquired, I kind of think that it would be someone even bigger than Microsoft or Sony trying to look to get into the game space and be like, well, now look, we, we own, we have video games now. So that's kind of what I would see. Or um, somebody who's bigger, who isn't as um, maybe known, maybe, but that's kind of the idea that I would have. I don't see a reason why, but I, I do also appreciate that they said something about this, just given that everyone is talking about acquisitions right now and, and wondering is someone else that's really big going to get bought up next? Or are we just going to kind of maintain what we have for now? Or is it over the next few years where we're going to see a lot more acquisitions? So I think Ubisoft does have a lot of reasons just to stay independent. Um, they're huge. So they have, I think they have a lot going for them and just staying by themselves and doing their own thing. Yeah, I appreciated the honesty, at least, where yeah. Guillermo was just like, yeah, if there's, <laughs> you put a big enough number on a napkin, I'm going to take it. Um Stella, your thoughts here. You think Ubisoft, are you with your fellow panelists? Do you think they will stay independent or do you think uh, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll take an offer before too long? I think they'll stay independent. Um, they, like Miranda said, they are experimenting with a lot of things. I mean, we've seen over the last few years them try to dabble in more modernized FPS games, which have not done well. Uh, now, do I think that they would benefit from being you know, bought out or at least managed by another company? Yes, I definitely think so because the way that, at least in in, in terms of how their FPS team has been uh, handling their modern titles, I feel like they are genuinely very out of touch with what people want. I think they are very um, out of touch on what exactly it is that people like about uh, Battle Royales and multiplayer games. Um, but I, I, I think they'll stay independent. I think there's just a lot that they can still get done by themselves and they don't really need anyone else to come in and like uh, give them assistance with, right. um, you know, building these titles that are classic, like uh, like Assassin's Creed. They're, do they're doing fine. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. For, for me personally, I'm just like, yeah, get someone at least to like buy all your FPS stuff so they can handle that, please. <laughs> Well, I I won't disagree with the panel on on this one. I think they've they've charted their own course pretty well, and barring some insane offer, which I think Miranda, you hit the nail on the head. It would be a ten cent or a Google or you know some yeah. maybe somebody kind of not really directly in the industry, meaning like you know not a Microsoft, Nintendo, or Sony. But there is a lot of if if somebody did come knocking, I, I the price would not be cheap because now we know. You know, we know what Zynga costs, and then we know what Activision Blizzard costs, and we know what just Bungie costs, and the market gets set. It's almost like the free agent market in sports, whether you're talking about the NBA or baseball or what have you. And you're, you look at Ubisoft, they've got, they own the Tom Clancy IP outright. They purchased it from the Clancy estate a number of years ago, I want to say it might have even been the like tail end of the original Xbox era at this point. I should have looked it up before the show, but it was a long time ago. So they can do whatever they want with Tom Clancy. And, you know, just within that, there are the three major franchises plus some others that they've tried. 
uh, and are trying, like with X Defiant, which I think Stella was not so subtly hinting at <laughs> maybe uh, maybe not being I something she's super looking forward to. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, you've got you've got Coast Recon Rainbow Six and uh, my hero Splinter Cell Sam Fisher in there, who will someday bra- uh, grace us with his remake return. But then you know, Cam mentioning Assassin's Creed being probably the biggest thing, biggest IP in their library right now. Far Cry sells a lot as well. So, uh, and, and I'm so glad, Cam, that you mentioned the Nintendo collab with Mario and Rabbids. Because, yeah, like it would be a shame to see stuff like that go away if, if somebody else comes in. <laughs> oh, yeah, Miranda hates the Rabbids. <laughs> I forgot that's, about that's that. Say. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Would it be? Uh, oh, yes, it's, 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 it's legit, legitimate. The first game was legitimately great, and the that's second right. one looks uh, awesome as well. Like, listen, like going into that game, I know this is not Xbox, but going into that game, I didn't expect like to like it as much as I did. I didn't same. like care about the Rabbids, you know, but it's good, good stuff. Uh, it's also, it's not a joke, that game. Too. Like, it it gets real tough by the oh end God. of that game. Yeah. Right, Cam? Yeah, it's, yeah. the game yeah. is not kidding around. It is a legit strategy game. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the, the the price would be high if uh, if anybody does come a-knocking. And, uh, but Eve Guillermo, the CEO, putting the word out saying, yeah, you know, maybe you write something on a napkin. We're going to, I'm going to take talk to the board and we're going to consider it. You better make it a big number, but... Yeah, I'm with all of you. I think Ubisoft will stay the course, barring some like ridiculous can't refuse kind of offer here in the coming months and years. Uh, next, just quickly, I, I mean, I don't think any of us are real fighting game aficionados, but uh, Street Fighter VI got announced. And I think the there's two things that I want to talk about with this. One's the obvious that everybody's been talking about, which is the logo. We'll get to that in a second. If you haven't seen the logo for Street Fighter VI, which got announced over this holiday weekend, just pause the podcast right now and just Google Street Fighter VI and you'll see the logo that we're talking about so you can have your own reaction to it. But the thing I actually want to go around the panel and talk about first is, uh, unless I missed it, I read the press release and I went on the official Street Fighter website I did not see any mention of platform. And the reason I bring that up is because Street Fighter V famously was a PlayStation exclusive, uh, which seemed seemed to not really go well for for that. Like it's seemed to really limit the audience. And it, it just, I, I mean, again, I, that may be construed as a fanboy projection by some listeners, but just like the, the Rise of the Tomb Raider exclusivity seemingly kind of didn't really go great for Microsoft. The Street Fighter one uh, was maybe not the best move in hindsight for Capcom and Sony. So uh, do you guys think, since there have been no platforms announced, no exclusivity, no no mention of anything, that we will see Street Fighter 6 on the Xbox platform? Miranda, I'll go to you first. Uh, I would hope so, but I, I will note too, they did mention that they will say more about it in the summer of this year. So that's good to know that there will be more. And I'm ho- like assuming again, just as you mentioned too, since they didn't explicitly say that there is one way or another, that they'll be a little bit more open to making sure that it comes to more consoles. Stella, do you think we'll see it? I think so. I mean, fighting games, I feel like they have to be on console, like all consoles because it, they have such a big platform there. 
Uh, so I feel like we will, um, especially if they want to see this do better than last or the last title. So I, I feel like we'll see it. But yeah, I guess sometime around my birthday in the summer, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cam, are you joining in? You think this yes on Xbox for Street Fighter Six? Yeah, I think I think it will be on Xbox. Uh, you know, Street Fighter Five was exclusive because Sony helped with the development of that game. Um, and but I think that since then, actually, I don't think any of Capcom's games have been exclusive to one plat, like one like console platform. I think they've all been multi-plat. Uh, I, I don't remember for certain, but based off all the ones I'm thinking of of recent memory, they've all been, you know, on uh, multi-plat. So I think that they're gonna they're sticking they're gonna stick to that trend and uh, have it everywhere because yeah i'm actually i actually do like street fighter quite a bit when it comes to the traditional fighting games but yeah street fighter 5 just wasn't really it for me i I really loved um like street fighter 4 back on the 360 and things like that um so i i i hope it is multi-platform because street fighter is it's street fighter like I, i it's kind of insane to think that it would be uh even even now like uh exclusive to one console platform i feel like it's just a like household video game uh name that it should be available as you know as much as they can uh you know it's obviously not going to come to switch because it's gonna well i mean or maybe it will maybe it will come to switch (laughs) um but i don't think i don't think it will um so it'll be interesting to see i'm looking forward to hearing more um uh in the summer well maybe there'll be a super switch by the time street fighter 6 actually comes out (laughs) since it's probably a ways off but uh yeah Go ahead, saying, it's, it's it's something to consider. Like this, this could be um, another. This could be cross gen. We don't know if it's cross gen or if it's completely next gen either. Right. That's another big uh, question mark. That's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I, I'm with all of you. I think you all cited good reasons. I think we will get it on Xbox this time around. I mean, look look no further than Mortal Kombat. It's it's more popular, more successful than ever, and. You know, part of the reason for that is it's on everything. You can doesn't matter if you're if you've got an Xbox, you've got a PlayStation. The game is there for you. I mean, it helps that it's a fantastic game, but Street Fighter is also, as Cam noted, it's been a great series forever. So, uh, yeah, I think I think we are going to see it on Xbox this time. And uh, so, next, let's let's talk about the teaser trailer itself. Both the characters, the the art style of the characters. <laughs> And also the logo. Um, Miranda, I'll start start back your way for reactions to the uh, branding and initial teaser trailer of this. So in the teaser, it looks like they both just came out of a sauna. I'm like, dang. All re- relaxed and ready to go fight. Everyone's really steamy. Like, literally just their steam rolling off their shoulders and, like, arms. I was like, dang, okay. Um, so that, that was kind of fun. But, of course, the logo is, I think, the thing that everyone's been kind of pointing to because it's a little silly uh, in that it looks a little esports-ish. It looks like, I-, I believe there was a new story that someone w- will mention here in a second about it kind of being a little stock image uh, so it actually really reminded me of the esports team OG for like the Dota 2 team. And th- there are many others that have that sort of just like, here's some sort of like hexagon or pentagon and uh, uh, initials in the middle stylized. Yeah. And that's just what it looks like. It's it's a little, it's a little simplistic, but at the same time, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I know before the show, we were actually talking a little bit about how, 
you kind of keep your brand similar for that like iconic look, right? Like, you know what Street Fighter is, but at the same time, I think when you change it, that's trying to say something about yourself as well, right? That you're trying to do something different, that you want to be notable in a different way. And maybe this could be something that they're trying in an attempt to maybe get more people interested in this. Um, to your point, Mortal Kombat's huge. Like, I think of the fighting games of like casual fighting game players, I think more people play that than others. This is also just my own conjecture. I don't really know. But of the games that interest me, when I look at Street Fighter, I'm like, well, that's too intense for me. <laughs> like, that's just, it's on another level, right? Whereas like Mortal Kombat can be very intense, but it's also really accessible. And it's something that I can just go in, have a good time campaign and button mash and never touch multiplayer because I will get absolutely destroyed. But with Street Fighter, I think it looks a little bit maybe more intimidating or it's just been such a known quantity in a different sort of way. I think it's really affiliated in at least my mind with competitive scene. So changing up their logo, granted, it does look more esportsy than ever, um, could be something to say, hey, we want you guys to think of this in a new way. So that could be something they're trying to lean toward. Cam, I know you had thoughts on what Miranda touched on there about this, about branding being an, a way to very obviously and intentionally convey that you might be going for something different. Yeah. So, well, when it comes to the logo, um, a lot of people in the uh, fighting game community, like Maximilian Dude, uh, I've been mentioning the idea that with this Street Fighter, it might be going to, it might be. Uh, going back to like Third Strike, where it was a little bit more hip hop influenced, and this logo kind of sim, you know, symbolizes that with like the graffiti on the number six and and things like that. That that would be cool, you know. I uh, and Miranda made a good point. Like different logo, they're going for something new. They like this is this might be kind of like a, I don't want to like say a soft reboot because you, but like I think that they recognize that Street Fighter Five had a lot of issues um, that the community was upset about. And like while Street Fighter V was is currently at a good place overall outside of like uh, no uh, rollback netcode, um, you know, people are, people want this to be a kind of like a refresh, like a, like okay, Street Fighter V happened, you know, it is what it is. People who liked it liked it, but let's let's kind of do something new. Let's do something that will get people excited about Street Fighter again. And uh, when it comes to the actual uh, trailer, you know, we see uh, Ryu, Ryu, however you want to pronounce it, and Luke, um, who was the final DLC character, if I remember correctly, for Street Fighter V. Mm -hmm. And when they announced him, they said that he was going to be a fundamental character moving forward for the series. And I think we see this here, like he's presumably going to be the main character in whatever story mode this game is going to have. He's going to fulfill uh, a significant role in Street Fighter VI. And I think that like this trailer actually shows a lot. Like, I don't know if it was confirmed in the press release. I, I didn't see or anything, but um, I think they might be using the RE engine for this game. Uh, do they, do they confirm that anything about the engine? Um, but I think they'll be using the RE engine for this game, and why wouldn't they after the success that they've had with it? And I think that this is just kind of like a small little showcase of like seeing the sweat dripped off them and like the you know the definition in their muscles. Like that's that, those are things that fighting game uh, fans care about, you know. And seeing that kind of realism come to life um, with what I'm presume, uh, assuming is the RE engine uh, would be uh, is is a really cool little. Thing to do in your teaser it, it, it lets p people theorize 
on uh, what this game is going to show and offer in a real way without really showing anything. Um, and to me, that's a good teaser trailer. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm super excited to, to see uh, gameplay hopefully this summer. Hopefully it comes out later this year. Um, yeah, I'm excited. I don't see anything about the engine on any of the press release or the official Street Fighter website, but uh, okay. that remains to be seen. Because I know that, I mean, five was not on, four and five were not on the Resident Evil. Well, no. I, mean, the Resident, I guess they kind of were because the Resident Evil engine was. Um, uh, it started with RE2. HD Framework, correct, right? I think that's the name of it. Uh, uh, somebody in the comments will fact check me. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm you know recording in real time here, but. You know, that was a big, that was the big new, like, in-house engine that they were using for everything back on the 360 and then have evolved it over the years. But uh, in any case, yeah, the logo thing is is interesting because, uh, so here we go. As first pointed out by Ars Technica's Auric Lawson, the Street Fighter VI logo bears a striking similarity to a logo design available through the Adobe Stock Image Store, Available with an extended license for $80 created by a user called X Cooley. The design is available as an Adobe Illustrator file, uh, meaning alterations could presumably have been easily made to the original. And the stock licenses do allow for modification in commercial use. The design appears to have been used publicly before. And by the way, if you haven't seen, I mean, it is, it's, it's very close. It is like <laughs> extraordinarily close. Uh, they're almost identical. Speaking to IGN, X Cooley confirmed that they had created the stock image and revealed that they were looking to sell exclusive rights for the image to Capcom, removing it from sale to other parties. We cap- uh, contacted Capcom for comment on the similarities uh, and we're waiting to hear back. But, you know, I don't blame the creator here. You know, Street Fighter is a big thing. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to, if you guys want to buy it, you guys want to make, you know, write me a nice check. I'll pull it off of <laughs> the, the image stock, the Adobe stock store right now. But, you know, yeah, I, a, a logo doesn't matter. Ultimately, the game does, but branding does still matter. It's why you see like Coca Cola hasn't changed their logo in a hundred years. And, uh, you know, McDonald's has the same basic logo for, 70 years, whatever it is. But yeah, it's, uh, I'm not a fan of the logo. I do think it's, it just, it looks like it's like, as Miranda noted, it's an esports team logo. It's like, say hello to your San Francisco Street Fighters, your esports pro team. But it is something you'd see on a hat for sure. There's no doubt about that. But what the game is what matters. And, and, uh, at least that teaser, the teaser looks cool. I mean, it looks like the, going to have some serious high res, you know, very detailed character models. And I don't doubt that the gameplay will be there. Although uh, Ono-san, the longtime, you know, director of Street Fighter did, did leave the company, uh, what, a year or so ago. So it'll be, a, it's a new direction for Street Fighter, not only in the art department, not only in the branding department, but presumably in the gameplay department too. We'll see what the, the new, the new directors and dev team come up with. All right, let's see here. We've got we've got some time left. Uh, the last story I wanted to talk about this week is the game behind me, No Man's Sky. Sean Murray, the creator, the head of Hello Games, says his galaxy-spanning sandbox isn't close to being finished, despite re- receiving. And I did not believe this. I had to reread this twice. Despite receiving its nineteenth major update in the form of the Sentinel update 
that has overhauled the combat system. Speaking to IGN, Murray said the team at Hello Games is continuously coming up with new features they'd like to see added to No Man's Sky, and each new update inspires more and more ideas. He said, quote, For as many updates as we've done since launch and as many bucket list items we've checked off, our list of things we're excited about never seems to get any shorter. The team is always coming up with new things that they want to do with the game, new content and features and areas for improvement. I'm amazed that the energy levels are as high now as they've ever been. We tend not to talk about what's on that list publicly, but suffice it to say we're not done yet by a long shot. I like to think that No Man's Sky is such a large game that we have to paint in broad strokes, he said, and, quote, then each update comes along and fills in some finer detail, but also paints more new broad strokes. And just what an amazing story this game is. Uh, Cam, I mean, have you ever seen anything like this in games where the hype was so high the reaction at launch was the total opposite, but now over time the team has continued to work and and not charge anyone else a dime. By the way, these have all been free updates, and now and the game is it's probably more beloved now than the hype level was before it came out. Hmm, I don't know if I agree with that last statement, but I all do right. think, but I do think that like this game has a lot of love now, uh, like uh than ever before like for those that are playing it and i think that um yeah this is like i'm just it just makes me think back to when it was announced and i was one of the few people like not not like not trying to be a hater or anything about but i was one of those few people that saw the game when they first showed i was like they haven't really shown much about what this game actually is though and then when it came and you know my i had so many friends excited for it and um you know and just like the level of disappointment that they had and just like seeing it grow over time into something that looks really unique and special. Um, you know, there have been countless times now where I like really want to hop into that game and, and explore the worlds and just see what this game has to offer. But you know, there's just so many games um, that like, I'm, I'm incredibly happy for Sean and the entire hello games team um, for their success and like shout out to them for just making again, making all of these updates free, you know, uh, no microtransactions as far uh you know and it's just it's just something to be applauded it's just something to be applauded for the hard work and the dedication that they had for this game the, the vision that this you know they wanted this game to be and i again just i really hope that this game continues to thrive and i'm looking forward to uh what hello games is going to do in the future yeah, in fact, when I was uh, pulling up this background, this screenshot for my for today for today's show, I I came upon I was on just the product page in the Microsoft Store, and I was like, oh, I own this, and it's also on Game Pass. It doesn't matter. <laughs> and I was like, I should just reinstall this. And actually, I'm just going to reinstall it right now because I do want to. This is making me. I haven't played since launch, and the game's going to be completely different. Every time there's a new trailer with one of these new updates, I'm like, oh, I should play this game again. And I think it's it's time. I got to get this game uh, going again. Miranda, your thoughts on the incredible journey that's still not over for No Man's Sky. Yeah. So in a way, I was a lot like Cam when I first saw this game coming out. I was just like, there's I see what you guys are excited for, but we haven't been shown any evidence to provide that. This is, I think, 
as sprawling as some people wanted it to be. And I think it was almost more of people's imaginations for what this game could be rather than what was actually being promised. Um, but it seems like, you know, Hello Studios is really trying to meet what those expectations were, excuse me, Hello Games. Um, and they are, you know, crafting their own world in a really neat way. And I think uh, there have been quite a few games, I think, that came out with big expectations that quite a, didn't need it. But then after many, many years of development, like they got to where they need to be. Like if you look at like Sea of Thieves, obviously Sea of Thieves is really fun. But, you know, when it first launch is sort of limited and then you just kind of roll back into it when you can. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing more and more from a lot of these big games where they just really want you to exist in them for a long time. So we have that. And then I think if you just look at Final Fantasy 14, that obviously had like a huge like world ending reboot, but you mean that it still exists as that game, right? And like a lot of things that um, have changed for it and like the sentiments around it have changed wildly, I would say. Uh, and people love that game. And I think that's kind of what you see a lot from this particular kind of game today. One of my friend's partners called them tree puncher games. So it's like, oh, do you have to go punch trees to get your resources? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so like, I think from a lot of these sorts of games where there's a lot of crafting, there's a lot of world building, there's a lot of things just to explore and do and see, you just have this long-term cycle of development that doesn't necessarily need to happen, but it can happen. And when it does, and I think if it's done well, um, you see things like this where people come around to it in new ways and it, it gets a new kind of life that other games can't have. You're reminding me, I got to stop playing games at launch because like <laughs> I played this at launch, I played Sea of Thieves at launch, I played Grand Theft Auto online at launch. And now all three of those, as, it, as you mentioned, like those are all examples of games that are just incredible now in their, so, but, <laughs> in their years later form. Oh, God, Stella. I was just going to say, but that expectation of like, oh, I shouldn't play games at launch shouldn't be there. That shouldn't be a thing. You should be able to enjoy these games at launch. Well, but I, oh. I think it's not that there aren't things to enjoy. It's just limited in the scope, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm really glad to see No Man's Sky kind of take over this role as an ongoing game. Sort of like how, um, I mean, speaking of Tree Puncher games, like how Minecraft constantly has updates coming out to it, right? I like that this is becoming its own sort of a universe in that aspect like it's becoming something that people also play like there's a huge community for it um and it, it has that sort of like explore exploratory feel that minecraft does so of course there's gonna be a big community for that people who just want to like go out there mine things um discover new things and i i really love that and i i'm so glad miranda that you brought up final fantasy 14 because i was going to bring that up too as a game that improved vastly after launch and i mean even warframe oh my god <laughs> It was not the game that it was today, like at launch, it was terrible. And now it's thriving, has a great community. Um, lots more people are playing it and it's way more enjoyable. So yeah, just really happy for uh, Sean and his team. Well said, go play. So go play No Man's Sky, everybody. It's on Game Pass and it just continues to get better and better. I'm gonna do it uh, after the show is over. Let's do <laughs> trivia real quick. Jake from Vermont. Hey, uh, Miranda, big chance to just stick it to Destin this week, who by the way, I'm gonna. I told him I wasn't gonna do this, but I'm gonna do it. Uh, I'm. He noped out to play Destiny, so put wow. you on notice, Destin. Hope he's still waiting to get in. <laughs> wow. Just kidding. Just kidding. But that's okay because it gave me a, a good chance to get Cam back on. So I don't mind. It's it's okay, Destin. You play all the Destiny you want. We're gonna we're gonna keep doing the show. <laughs> uh, trivia time. Let me check the scoreboard here. Miranda to Destin two. Cam's got one from uh, an appearance earlier uh, in January. 
and Stella with one as well. So, you know, still early, still anybody's game. Jake from Vermont asks this. The Xbox 360 had a number of limited edition consoles back in its day. Which of the following was not a limited edition Xbox 360? So I'm talking there was a, you know, a custom, a physical box that you could buy that was, you know, custom theme for this game. Was it Gears of War 2, Halo 4, Resident Evil 5, or Connect Star Wars? I'll go to our guest Cam first this week. So we're looking for... So three of those did get a special edition Xbox, and one didn't. We're looking for the one that didn't. So here's the thing. I, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this one, so I, maybe, I, I don't okay. want to go first. All right, fair enough. You uh, can't pass. <laughs> You can't, can't pass like that. that. No, you'll what have do you to can't pass? You've never gotten that luxury. No, you're going. Wow. Okay. You gotta well. hold your cards close to your chest, Cam. Yeah. You can't say that. Oh man. <laughs> I'm pretty, I, 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 I remember a time I went on the show where <laughs> someone's like, "Oh, I wanted to go last because I knew the answer, or they knew the answer, and then that Ryan let it happen." That's why I brought it up. Well, I can't let it happen now because you, nope. you know, it's that's okay. Okay. Nope. Uh, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure the answer is uh, Resident Evil Five. Okay. All right. Re Five. Uh, Stella, I'll go your way next. That was actually my guess, too. Okay. See. So you're, are you going to join Cam in this? Or are you going to go with him? <sighs> See, out of spite, I don't want to. But wow. that was my first answer. So, <laughs> so yes? Resident I'll, I'll Evil stay. 5? Yeah, I'll stay. I'll stay okay. Yeah. Miranda, would you like to join them? Or do you have another ga- another one in mind here? I will stand alone. Uh, <laughs> although I'm worried about that. Because I was like, I know one. But I feel like... A or B, ha- it's like, is that a trick or was it real? I didn't pay attention to the limited edition ones, but I know which one for sure got one on here, but the others I don't know. So I'm going to go Halo 4. Right. Oh, Halo 4 had one for sure. Damn I'm, it. I'm confident on that one. <laughs> well, I already, I'm going to stick with my answer because I, okay. I already said. Can well, I, I guess I'll, I'll, uh, I'll take my back. put my phone away because I'm not going to be updating the scoreboard this week. Was Nobody it gets it. What? what? From Vermont stumping Is it Gears everyone. of War 2? Gears, Gears 2. God damn it. Oh, Gears 2. I thought man. they were going to ride the, the first Gears I got to look up the... I gotta look, I knew, so here's the thing. I I wasn't sure on Gears of War 2. Like I I know vividly what the Halo 4 and Connect Star Wars ones look like. Yeah. The Star Wars, Star Wars 1 yep. was the C-3PO and <laughs> yep. R2, uh, R, R, R2-D2. Um, mm-hmm. But the Resident Evil 5 one, I just never saw. So no, I was like... neither. Yeah. The, so, uh, yeah. I believe the... Let me. I need to double check now. I'm pretty sure the Resident Evil Five Xbox 360 console Xbox was. 360 so let me make sure this is the. Console. Yeah, it was the bright red one. That's what I thought. I was like, it's oh, just red. It was just bright really? red. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Huh. And then, hold on. Let me so, get why it didn't stick in my brain? So with Halo just, f- and yeah, Gears of War Three also had a red. Okay, I was so it was like, Gears Three that got okay. it. Yeah. All right. I was like, one of I know there was a Gears one. <laughs> yeah, that's but, yeah, that's what got me. But I was like, well, Halo Four it came late enough in the in the cycle that it could have maybe not gotten one. But also it's Halo. But also Gears of Gears of War was insanely popular. So Gears of War Two getting its own console would make yeah. sense to me. But also yeah. I think sometimes you get more limited edition consoles toward the end of a generational cycle because they're like, hey, you guys want. Look, it's special now. You can get a right. second one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I was like, ah, yeah. I'll just, I'll just do Halo. <laughs> anyway, wow. Okay, cool. 
So uh, Jake from Vermont, bravo, you've stumped the entire panel. If anyone else out there wants to send in an Xbox trivia question with your chance to stump the panel, I welcome and invite you to do so. The email address to send that to is unlocked at IGN.com. Please include, of course, the question for multiple choice answers. Note the correct answer and include your name and if you want, your gamer tag as well. And I'm happy to read that on the air if I choose your question. So uh, that brings us to the end of Unlocked 532 on 2-2-22. Before we go, some quick plugs. Cam, we've you've reminded the audience why we love you and why we enjoy having you on. Uh, where can everybody follow you, check out your work, etc.? Yeah, again, uh, Monarch Review up on IGN. I know it's not an Xbox game, but that is thing. I have a preview dropping uh, soon. Uh, that you can look out for as well. Uh, Unlocking Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts podcast, uh, as we play through the Kingdom Hearts series and talk about why we love and don't love it. Um, That's on all podcast services. And um, I will be having articles up on uh, GamePur soon. Uh, G-A-M-E-P-U-R.com. So there's that too. Love that. Good stuff, my friend. Uh, Miranda. You're up next. Yeah, you can find me at Havoc Gross, and that's Havoc with K on Instagram and Twitter and Twitch. Tonight I'll be streaming more Catherine. That is a very explicit game, and it gets pretty wild. Um, but on so IGN, good. it's so good. It's so wild. Um, on IGN, though, um, please be sure to check out our Cyberpunk guide since that got its official next gen release. Um, I've been updating that here and there as it's been needed, but we have a super solid guide that I'm really proud of. So I hope you use that if you're diving back in or diving for the first time. Excellent. Stella? Yeah, uh, I am at Parallax Stella everywhere. Uh, I stream every day after work um, and mostly playing FPS games, but I will be playing Elden Ring this week when it comes out. So I guess if you like people yelling and getting mad at games, that is what (laughs) I'll be doing. (laughs) Sounds fun. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan. If you missed the IGN fan fest that we put together I had I've like next to zero to do with it. All the credit goes to so many people, uh, both in front of the camera and behind it. There was a heck of an effort to put together all the panels from all these cool shows and games and stuff. Uh, but the one thing I was able to be a part of was hosting our Halo TV series panel with the with Kiki Wolfkill from Three Four Three, with uh, the director of the show with one of the other executive producers and with most of the principal cast, including the master chief himself, Pablo Schreiber. That is up on YouTube. Now, if you didn't see it when it first aired over the weekend, go to youtube.com slash IGN and check out the panel. It's like 27 minutes long. And we talked about whether or not you're going to see a certain Spartan's face hint. The answer is not no. So uh, it's an interesting conversation. Do check that out and that will wrap it up. I want to thank our super producer, Kate, alongside, of course, Miranda and Stella and Cam. I'm Ryan. This was Unlocked 532, and we'll see you next week. Hey. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.